0: My name's Ian, I help with the Christianity Explained course, I'm doing the Bible reading this morning, which is Psalm 16. If you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles at the back of the church, you're free to take one, it's the church's gift to you, and you can follow along. Psalm 16. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead nor will you let your faithful one see decay. You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand.
1: Well good morning. It's it's wonderful to be here um, as we start a serious sermon um, in the book of Psalms. We think about discovering contentment and, and a variety of topics like that. But why don't we pray? Let's ask God to help us now um, as we come to His Word. Father, we, we come to a new year, another year given by You. The sun rises, the sun sets, the moon rises, the moon sets, the galaxies are there, the, the universe is here. And Father, we we're reminded that You uphold all of this by Your powerful Word. And so Father, this morning we were at We pray that as we come to your word, Psalm 16, that you'll speak to us, help us to see that it is your word, convict us and transform us, change us and mould us, stir in us no matter the weeks we've had, give us an overwhelming sense of the satisfaction that we can have in you despite the, the stormy seas we may face this week. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Are you content? As 2024 comes in, and I ask the question, how would you answer it? Are you content? Are you content in the situation you are in right now? Content with what you have that you don't need anymore? content with where you live or are you content with your family like are you content at this present moment or are you just looking around the corner for it this week it's it's I've been reflecting on life, I've I've had this moment multiple times where I've reflected because this time last year, I was packing my bags, I was getting ready to go on an overseas trip over to Turkey, over to Greece to walk where Paul walked and then spend a few days on my own back in Jerusalem and so I remember this time last year, I was packing my bags and I had this sense of anticipation, I was here preaching on the Sunday and on the Monday night I would head to the train um, to the Sydney international airport stay the night catch a truck you know get up at 3am and i had this anticipation and 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 i've been this week i've been mourning that i've been looking like oh man how good was that trip that i i would love for it just to happen again and so as I've been reflecting on that, I was reminded that towards the end of that trip this week, it was my second last day in the old city of Jerusalem. I went down to the Dead Sea. I went to Masada. I was going to go to the Dead Sea, have a bit of a float in it. But at the same time, I went to a place called En where En is an oasis, basically in the middle of the desert. It's a place where King David hid from Saul. He sort of hid in the caves. There's caves everywhere. But it's just a barren desert place with not much around and yet there's this little oasis here in this spot and it's probably a place where King David wrote some of his psalms for us a place where he was in turmoil a place where it was dark a place where life wasn't traveling so well for him but on this day we get to en and I've seen the waterfalls there. And I decided that it said like, I think it was 60 minutes or a 90 minute round trip where you could actually climb the mountain to go to where the spring actually started. And me thinking, well, 90 minutes, that's just for people who can't walk. I'm going to crack that off in like, I've only got half an hour. I'm going to do it. And so I head up this mountain and, and it sort of wove, it wove up and down this mountain. And I'd, I'd, I'd get to one spot and I'd think just around the next corner... The spring will be and so I'd, I'd half run up the hill and I'd get to the next corner and I'd look around and I'd go it's not there just around the next corner off I'd go I'd get to the next corner just around the next corner and this kept going on and on and on and I thought I was nearly there and I thought I've only got a few minutes before I've got to turn back or otherwise I'll miss the bus and I thought it's just around the next corner this spring and I get there and still not there just around the corner. I wonder, do you feel this morning if contentment is just around the corner? I felt like it was just around the corner. If I just get my garden finished, if the kitchen just gets done, if I just finish my degree, if I just find the right spouse, if I just get married... If I could just get healed this year, if I could just swipe Instagram once more, surely after a few more swipes, surely after a few more TikTok feeds, surely after a little bit more, surely that domain will will kick in and I'll feel content. It feels like it's just around the corner. If I just have this break this year, if my lot in life would just change, then I would be satisfied and content. Then I could say I'm content. Now, Jim Carrey, the famous actor, he said this, right, he had everything. He was famous in the 90s and the 2000s. I wish, he said this, I wish everyone could get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. Jim Carrey had everything and yet he still wasn't satisfied. Angelina Jolly, in one of these profound sense of honesty and rawness, someone who was a famous actor, an incredible actor with plenty of wealth, who had a great job and had everything in this world, who still an, wanted to have an acting career, said she still had this inner desire to be a traditional stay-at-home mum. Just around the corner, if I could just have that If I go back to that, then I'd be content. So we think the right relationships will bring contentment. We think if we get the right car and the right colour, if we just get our health back, if I'll just get healed. We think getting the right house with the right swimming pool and the right suburb will bring it. See, contentment is that, you know, will it suffice? Will it be sufficient? Will it make the grade? See, contentment is really... It's being satisfied in your lot in life. Contentment is that going, well, this is where I'm at, and if i got nothing else for the rest of my life, I would be okay with that. But that's the problem. Contentment feels like we just don't have it. As the new year comes in, our eyes will be looking everywhere else, just around the corner, in the pursuit of contentment. Now, the Boxing Day sales. They reveal something about, I reckon, the search for contentment. We get all these presents on Christmas Day where billions of dollars have been spent, but then you get to the Boxing Day sales and they forecast that we would spend $1.25 billion just on Boxing Day sales alone, and by the end of the 15th of January, we as Australia will have spent over $23 billion on Boxing Day sales, even though we would have spent that for Christmas in the pursuit of having it now, just around the corner. You know, we live in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a decade that's, I think, so visually stimulated. Now, compared to 20 years ago, yet alone compared to 100 years ago, we have our own realities where we are so visually stimulated 24 hours a day, seven days a week, where we're visually stimulated to feel like we're always missing out. It's a great reminder every time we open up our phone or a great time, every time we watch a YouTube and it has an ad. It's a great reminder of the things that we're missing out on in life. But the Psalms actually speak to us who might be tempted to worship and find contentment in other gods. To seek protection from those things. See, we're starting off a sermon series over summer where we're looking at the Psalms and we've called it Discover because we are so visually stimulated today where we have constantly thinking it's just around the corner. Contentment is just around the corner. Rest is just around the corner. Comfort is just around the corner. And friendship is just around the corner. But the the Psalms, which were written thousands, thousands of years ago, even though they're very old, they have biblical answers for modern day questions for us. They, they touch into life's longings and desires and it has answers for us. See, Psalm 16 doesn't say contentment is something around the next corner. It doesn't say contentment is something we have to go seeking. Psalm 16 says it can be found and you can have it right now. See, what you're facing isn't a new world problem. They were facing it 3,000 years ago as well. And this psalm tells us that there is a way to life, there's a way of life that brings eternal contentment. How would it change your life this week if contentment wasn't just around the corner? How would it change it now? if it wasn't around the corner. See, God wants you to find and know contentment. He wants you to find it and to know it in Him. And why does it matter? Because today, if you don't get this, you are going to keep chasing around the next corner for tomorrow. It's just going to be around the next corner. Hopefully, contentment will come my way. And the problem with that is it leads to worry, it leads to anxiety, it makes you restless because you just can't sit in the moment because you're chasing after contentment. It can cause broken relationships, it will lead you to dating the wrong person, it will take you away from your family and friends, all the pursuit of something that you think is just around the next corner. But this psalm tells us that there is contentment to be had now. And so if you're a young mum here and you're amidst a handful of dirty nappies and you're feeling overwhelmed by sleepless nights, contentment isn't just something around the corner, it's something you can have now. Contentment can be found in the midst of caring for a spouse or a parent who's been diagnosed with Alzheimer's. Contentment isn't just something around the corner, it's something that you can have now. And so what we're going to do this morning, I'm going to ask two questions. Where is contentment to be discovered? Well, this Psalm 16 helps us see that contentment can be discovered, it's actually in God. It's discovered in God. Contentment is often a picture of what could be, not what is now. Now, the context of Psalm 16 is probably, you know, over 3,000 years ago. We're not 100% certain of what David is probably facing. Uh, a Mick Tam psalm, we don't really actually know what it means. People will try and it tell you what it means, but we don't really know what the word means. It could either mean a golden psalm or it could mean a psalm spoken in silence. We, we just don't know. But we know it was written by David but we're not, we're not fully sure of his circumstances, but here's what we do know. He's facing pressure on two fronts. He's facing the pressure of death. Death appears to be eluding his way. Whether that's death from someone else causing it, or whether it's just death that's coming, that's what verse 10 gives us a hint. He's, he's feeling the pressure of death. But at the same time, I think he's actually feeling the pressure of the culture of the world around him. He's facing this pressure of a culture that surrounds him that's trying to find contentment and value and joy in everything except God himself. Have a look at verse 1. It says, keep me safe, or, or, or could say preserve me. Keep me safe, God, like preserve me. In a sense, he's saying, like, what I'm going through right now isn't easy, but preserve me through it. It's not a psalm that promises that you, if you follow God, everything's going to become good for you. Get this health, wealth kind of idea that if God, I cry out to you, everything's going to come good. No, no, preserve me through what I'm going through. Then look at verse four. You said the pressure he's facing. Something's external, but verse 4, those who run after other gods will suffer more and more, or the ESV will say, sorrow is their past. See, what he's, he's, he's seeing that the pressure of the world around him, as these people chase after the Canaanite gods, he's recognised that it's only going to lead to sorrow. So he's feeling the pressure to conform, to give up, and to go and find worship and meaning in all the other gods. Now, you and me, we, we probably aren't bowing down and worshipping the Canaanite gods, but we do have the gods of self-expression. We have the gods of self-individualism. We, we live in a society where, where it's the god of self or the god of wealth or the god of, of health. You know, and we, can, we pursue those in the pursuit of happiness. And, pu- and David, there's this pressure surrounding him with this. And David is rejecting the cultural pressure to see that wealth and self-sufficiency is the answer to his contentment. But what he wants to say is he's telling himself and he's telling others that it's discovered in God. And we see that in verse 2. I say to the Lord, now in verse 1 it's God, now it's Yahweh. Now he's really to the personal relational God who created. He's saying the God who created the heavens and the earth, the one who rescued Israel out of Egypt, this God Yahweh... You are my God. You are my Lord. And he recognised that apart from you, I have no good thing. He's a giver of life. Even the good things that I have right now are from you. Even the touch of cool water on the tongue after a long walk, is given by God. Or the refreshing taste of mangoes on our lips. Or the southerly breeze at the end of a hot summer day that comes through your south-facing door. They're all good things given by God. But they are not given by God to bring you contentment. But contentment is in knowing Him. And we see that in verse 5. Have a look there. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup you make my lot secure. Now, that word, my portion and my cup, my portion, it's actually really hard to find an English word that explains what it means. And so they just translated my portion and it's, it's, it's hard to know exactly what it means. But in a sense, I think it's really saying, you're my fountain of life, you're my satisfaction, you're you will suffice all my needs. I am content with the lot in life that I'm in right now. Do you see, like he recognises that, you know, whether Paul's in the palace or, sorry, David, whether David is in, in his palace or whether he's in the desert at En he understands that God is my satisfaction. This is my lot in life. But my contentment doesn't come from that, but it comes from God himself. Whether I'm in a palace or whether I'm sitting in a cave, here's my portion and my lot. And so Psalm 16 sort of really says, hey, David says, from my experience, he's reflecting here, saying, hey, it's actually discovered in God. Contentment is hard to know when our hearts are so restless all the time. So where is contentment to be discovered? Well, it's discovered in God But how do we know contentment? Well, that's point two. Contentment is known in Jesus. Now, you might say, well, where is that in the psalm, James? Like, where is Jesus mentioned? Well, check out verse 9. Therefore... My heart is glad, and my tongue rejoices. My body will... My body also will rest secure. Right there, he sort of almost, it's like it's almost a whole being, you know, like mind, soul, and emotion. Like it's, he's saying, all of me, my whole existence is tied up in you. Why? Well, he tells us why he rejoices in his emotions and his being and his mind. Well, why? Because of verse 10 because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead or Sheol nor will you let your faithful ones see decay. Knowing that that as David faces the pressures of the world to go after the things of the world that lead to sorrow, as he faces the known reality that he will die one day and be buried, he knows that because he's got refuge in Yahweh, in God, the grave is not the end for him. As he faces the death of loved ones or as he faces the the reality of the death of a child or a family member. Or as he faces the reality that people will want to take his life or take him from the throne. As he knows that people will be set out to destroy it. As he knows other people will be set on trying to just around the corner, they'll find something. He says, I am satisfied in my situation because of the hope of life after death. He's saying, I, I know that God's not going to let me see decay. But how do we know that this is true? Because King David was buried. You've buried people. People have been cremated. I'm going to take more funerals. Death still happens It still takes place. So what's going on here in this psalm? Well, actually Psalm 16 really points to 2,000 years ago. It actually points to Jesus. To Jesus, the God, fully God, fully man, who stepped into our world, who changed history. David was looking forward in Psalm 16 as we look back to the first century. And I want you, if you've got your Bibles there, go to Acts chapter 2. Gonna, we're just going to read a little bit from Acts chapter two. It's, it's a long reading, but I, I think it just, it just helps us grasp what's going on. Acts chapter two, and I, I'm, let's oh, well, let's let's read from verse twenty-two, eh? So Acts chapter 2, verse 22. Now remember, this is this is after, this is the first sermon after Jesus has gone to heaven. He's been raised from the dead. The crucifixion's happened. And this is the first sermon that Peter addresses the crowd. And guess what Peter quotes? Fellow Israelites, verse 22, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs, which God did among you and through him. As you yourselves know, this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of the wicked man, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on Jesus. Now David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me, because he was at my right hand, I will not be shaken." See, that, that idea of being at the right hand is, that, you know, people were right-handed, the shield would be on your left, and so if you stood to the, if your, your soldier was to the right of you, his, his, his shield would protect you from harm, and he's saying, I will not be shaken, Jesus is at my right hand, therefore my heart rejoices. Right. Look at verse 10. We know this is is Psalm 16. Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. But who is this one who will not see decay? Well, verse 29. I tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried. And his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father, the promised Holy Spirit, and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. See, Psalm 16 is about Jesus. It points to Jesus. And the result of this first sermon, 3,000 people were saved. They found life in Jesus. They found contentment in him. The one who says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. The person. The way is a person. Contentment is a person. And his name is Jesus. See, contentment isn't found in something, but in someone. And that someone is actually Jesus. See, contentment is not found in presence. But in his presence. See, this psalm, it actually points us to the one who can satisfy. But why don't we go to Him? Why? Because we exchange God for a piece of fruit in search of satisfaction and happiness in Genesis chapter 3. See, the way of exchanging God for a piece of fruit, the way of self-trust leads us to sorrow and discontentment. And it's just around the next corner. But the way of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ provides salvation, delight and contentment in God's presence with you. So that in verse 11 of Psalm 16, it says, you make known to me the path of life, you fill me with joy, or as the ESV says, you... The fullness of joy is in you. And why can we have this fullness of joy? Why can we have this presence of God in us? Because of the gospel. Because Jesus did not see decay, but he was raised from the grave. Because of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That that his life, he lived perfectly where we didn't. That he was crucified for us in our place that he was buried and he was raised so that we could be justified, so that his perfect righteousness can be given to those who have faith in him. See, the, the gospel means that we now have God. The reason we can be content right now if we take refuge in Jesus is that death poses no threat to those who are in Christ Jesus. See, God will not let death interrupt our pleasure and our satisfaction in him. See, nothing can ruin us and he won't let death decay us. See, death is not a wall but a door. Death is not the end but the beginning. Death is not the exit but the entrance. He's saying death changes it all. See, this resurrection of Jesus knowing that Whether I'm going through the storms this week or whether I'm going through a wonderful week or whether I'm facing looking after a parent who's got Alzheimer's or whether I'm facing cancer, whatever it may be, we know that our contentment's not found in those things, but it's found in Jesus, the one in whom we find all our life and joy in because he's made us right with God. But you might say, but James, are you saying to us today that Jesus automatically will make my life easier if I follow him? No way. Let's not be Christians who confuse contentment with a life of ease, of health and wealth and things going our way. That's not contentment. See, our lives are fuller and more content. They're not more full and content because you become a Christian, it doesn't, it doesn't mean that your life is going to be pain-free. Our lives are fuller and we have a fullness of joy and contentment in our lot in life, but it means that your contentment may not ch- sorry that your circumstances may not change. And now the Apostle Paul knew that. Right, this guy who got saved by Jesus, who would have had a plenty of wealth, you know, he's experienced a high life. He had a good life. But what we hear of, of Paul is that in Philippians chapter four, he's learnt the secret of contentment. He's learnt to be content. This is a guy who writes to the Philippians in the moment that he's in chains. This is a guy who's probably had, you know, he's probably had a beachside apartment. He's probably had wealth, he's, he's probably had plenty of food, but he knows what it's like to have both. He's been whipped, and yet he's in chains to a guard as he writes this, and he says in, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 10, I rejoice greatly in Jesus, that at last you've renewed your concerns for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. Now, I'm not sharing this with you, I'm not going to say this to you because I'm in need. Because what Paul says is, I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Whether I'm well fed or whether I'm hungry, whether I'm living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through... See, see where's his contentment come from? It comes from Jesus. Whether he's got plenty of food or whether he's got nothing, whether he's got a nice house or whether he's, in, he's, he's sleeping in a tent... Why? Because he knew the one who could provide satisfaction and happiness and was ultimately raised from the grave. And the more I reflect on Paul, the more we realise that contentment is not what we think contentment is. Contentment is discovered in God, it's knowing Jesus and that we walk knowing that in His presence. See, See so here, it's it, it, it it's very much we have the presence of God now because of Jesus. Now, Jesus doesn't say, "Come to me, and you and you walk through the valley." It doesn't say, "Come to me, and you walk through the darkest valley alone." No, He says, "And you won't walk through the dark." No, no He says, "Come to me, and I'll walk through the darkest valley with you." Psalm twenty three. It's not that you're not going to go through the dark valley, but as you go through the dark valley, you can know that I am with you in that. See, the psalm tells us that there is a way of life that brings eternal contentment. Jesus. God wants you to find and to know contentment in Jesus. And so I suppose I want to ask the question this morning, are you content? Are you content right now? Or are you in that moment, are you just in that moment where it's just around the corner? Is it just around the corner? Maybe you're here today and it's just around the corner. Or maybe you're here and you're not a Christian and you're just thinking, man, I just want life to change. The good news of Jesus is that you can have contentment in Him today through trusting in what He's done. So are you content? Or have you just, over the last year, slipped away from finding contentment in Him? So, as we finish up, here's two things to think about, two reflections, two applications for us. Here's the first thing, as we think about discovering contentment, we understand that God wants us to know contentment and it's in Jesus. Therefore, if it's in Jesus, guess what we've got to do? We've got to reflect every day. See, verses 5 to 8 of Psalm 16 is actually reflections of David. He's reflecting on the world around him. He's he's reflecting. He's spending time to tell himself who God is and what he's done. He looks around. But see, we need to reflect because we forget. Why? Because we have cognitive amnesia. We forget who Jesus is and who God is. And we forget the reality of verses 10 to 11 in our lives united with Jesus, that he will not let us see decay. We forget that reality because as the weariness and the exhaustion of life is, as we seek just around the next corner, we we just need to keep reminding ourselves and reflecting and knowing what we have in Jesus now. We need to reflect on that. See, David reflects on the simple things of life. See, but for us to reflect, guess what we've got to do? We've got to lift our heads. And to lift our heads up, we need to look around and see what's going on. David realises in this psalm that he's got all he needs to survive because God is there for him. He's in his presence. And therefore, I think as we reflect every day, we need to lift our heads. Now, what I'm about to say I think phones are a wonderful gift by God. They're a wonderful technology. Is a wonderful thing given to, him, given to us by Him. But I wonder whether we've just got to learn the simple art of lifting up our heads from our phones and looking around and seeing that God is good. Do we just need to start lifting up our heads rather than trying to adjust around the next corner? Why has that family got such a good experience on their holidays? I wish I could have that. And sometimes we just gotta, we actually gotta lift up our heads out of our phones and look around and see that God is good. See, David faced different pressures to us. He didn't have an iPhone, he faced pressures of, 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 of wanting to find contentment in the things that lead to sorrow, but it's not found in our phones. I wonder do we spend more time on Facebook than sometimes in our Bibles. I wonder sometimes do we just, we, we come to church and we keep our mouths closed when we're singing rather than actually singing that reflects and reminds us of who God is and what we have in Him. You know, it is hard as we reflect because, you know, as we look at our phones, we see our friends on expensive holidays. As I see a post of a friend on Instagram, it looks like their life has got everything they need. And I think if I could just have the house or the kitchen or, or the relationship or the health that they have, then I'd be content. Or as you think, I wish I was in a different season right now. It's actually, we need to lift up our heads and go, no, Jesus is good. He's with us. And one of the ways that you can do that is, you know, I think grace at the dinner table. Now, isn't that a simple thing? Now, it becomes such a tradition that we just say it. But to actually stop and to stop for a few minutes and go, God's provided this food for me. To stop and think, now, now what am I thankful to Jesus today for the forgiveness of sins, for the redemption? Can we just stop for a moment and just reflect on that? And let's remind each other of that beautiful gift. To read the Bible daily, it's it's a wonderful thing to do, to reflect and open up God's Word and to to just go, look who God is in the midst of my dark storm. Because see, reading the Bible daily isn't just reading words on a page, but it's listening to the one who loves you, And wants you to discover your contentment and satisfaction in His Son, Jesus. See, as we reflect on verse 10, how can we know, verse 10, that we won't see decay? Because a thousand years later, Jesus came and he He conquered sin and He conquered the grave. And so therefore, as we reflect every day on the goodness of Jesus, we need to fix our eyes every day on the goodness of Jesus. As we reflect, as we fix our eyes on Jesus... We, we do that because everything else will one day fade. Everything that we fix outside of Jesus will one day fail and let you down. So the book of Hebrews is written to people who remind them of the goodness of Jesus. Jesus is greater. Jesus is better. And, and, and at the end of, towards the end of Hebrews, he reminds the church, don't be in the habit of giving up, meeting together regularly. One of the best things we can do to fix our eyes on Jesus is to meet every Sunday. And Hebrews chapter 11 says, therefore fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. Fix our eyes every day on Him. See, don't kid yourself that you can do the Christian walk without ever meeting with Christians. Don't kid yourself you can do the walk with ever out coming to church because what will happen is it'll be just around the corner, will grab bigger and bigger and you'll become saturated in the culture of the world and you will lead to sorrow because you think contentment is just around the corner and everything else but Jesus. Fixing your eyes on Christ fixes your minds. Keep fixed on Him or you will exchange Him. There's a game in our family. There's, well, my boys, they play these funny games as you drive around. They, they sort of say, hey, Dad, would you do this for a million dollars? You know, Dad, would you for $10 million get bitten by a brown snake? They'll say, hey, Dad, you're driving out the Harbour Bridge. Hey, Dad, would you jump off the Sydney Harbour Bridge for a million dollars? Now, I might say, so like no. Now, the question is, though, that the boys are asking this incredible question because they're saying, would you give that up, exchange your health, so that you find happiness in a snake bite. You know what I mean, like the $10 million. They're saying, you know, like you might die, but, but wouldn't you want to give up that to get the $10 million as you jump off? No. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. But so often, we exchange Jesus for other things and other people. If I don't have this relationship I won't be satisfied and surely Jesus wants me to be happy. And so you pursue a relationship with someone who doesn't love Jesus. The extra hours or the extra job you've taken on, which is a great thing to, to get some bills paid, to, to pay down the mortgage. It starts off well. You're finding a satisfaction in Jesus. But over time, the extra work, the extra, it starts to creep in that it's just around the corner. And so you give up meeting in life groups. You give up meeting with other Christians. You give up coming to Sunday. And before long, your whole life is consumed by money and work just around the corner for contentment. Maybe you exchange the contentment found in Christ's first thing for a scroll on your device through other people's Instagrams and Facebook's pages. Now, maybe you go, oh, I'm not like all those other ones, but I wonder maybe, maybe it's not those other ones for you, but I wonder, do you struggle with the idol of food? You find contentment in food and sugar. We exchange Jesus for things that will just eventually someone might die, the job might let you down, you may become disabled. Like it just, it's what what happens? Where's it go? King George VI, the King of England, he was invited to America by Franklin Roosevelt, he invited him over there for some, you know, something you do. And so they had they invited um, the king, and you hear it, this thing, and this chief Indian, this key chief Indian in America, came and he sang to King George the, the sixth. He sang the, I think he probably sang the, the American anthem, I think he might have sang the, the, the British one. He did a variety of things. And so he's come before the king and he sings these words, it's all on script, until at the end, it, it, this Indian chief sings this, to the king of England. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold, I'd rather be his than riches untold, I'd rather have Jesus than houses or land, I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hands, than to be a king of a vast domain, or be hurled in sin's dread sway, I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today, I'd rather have Jesus than men's applause. I'd rather be faithful to his dear cause. I'd rather have Jesus than worldwide fame. I'd rather be true to his holy name. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. Took him by surprise. But later on, the king of England walked over and shook the hand of this Indian. And the king responded, I'd rather have Jesus too. See, this psalm tells us that there is a way to life that brings eternal contentment that's rooted in Jesus. God wants you to find and know contentment in Jesus. So I wonder are you content in Jesus today? Have you found contentment in Him? Let's pray. Father, we give you, Father, we, we, we come before you now, recognizing that so often we exchange you. We we, so often exchange you for the sorrow of this world. We often exchange you for something that you've created, hoping that it will bring us contentment and satisfaction. Father, we want to say sorry for that. Father, we want to be a church that, that just wants to say, Jesus is all we need. He's all that we have. And so that whether we go through the darkest valley or we go through the mountaintops, whatever it may be, Father, may we find contentment in you. Satisfaction that will suffice. And Lord, I pray that we can keep helping each other, pointing our eyes to you, helping each other through the valleys we walk. Amen. Amen.